This is The Rant presented by Strive Sports here with you on this Monday afternoon, April 12th. Going to be talking about all New York City sports outcomes from over the weekend, including Mets, Yankees, Knicks, Nets. A lot to talk about. Uh, so before we get to it, just wanted to remind you all that you can find all Strive Sports podcasts uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can access them uh, via the link tree in the Strive Sports Instagram page. Uh, you can access either the Spotify link or the Apple Podcast link. Uh, so hopefully you guys uh, will be tuning in. Getting to it though, going to start that my rant for the day. Uh, going to be starting by talking about the Mets and uh, their struggles to start the season. Uh, so they split the season, the series against the Marlins because one of the games got postponed yesterday. Uh, so first game they win three to two. Um, not even the first game. Was it the second game? Was this the game in which uh, they got the walk off? I am not even sure. I believe it is. It is the game that they got the walk off. Conforto hit by a pitch uh, to walk it off. Uh, you know, not the way that you want to win, but uh, you take any win that you can get. Uh, seems like the Mets are having similar troubles to the Yankees. Uh, they're oh, they went 0 for six with runners in scoring position. Left 11 runners on base in that in that win against the Marlins. Um, you know, and then looking at the the game from uh, two days ago, they lost three to zero. Um, they went 0 for six with runners in scoring position. Uh, only left four on base, so this game they didn't—they weren't even capable of getting runners on base. Um, you know, pitching clearly not the issue. Uh, they had Walker go in, in their win. Uh, six innings pitched, four Ks, uh, only two earned runs. And then in that loss to the Marlins, DeGrom, eight innings pitched, uh, one earned run, 14 Ks. Uh, another performance from DeGrom that's unheard of and uh, no run support. Um, I hope that he doesn't get too, it seems like he doesn't get, you know, too disappointed by that just based on, uh, his past with the Mets. You know, it's a pretty regular occurrence. Uh, it doesn't take away from his greatness at all though. Only one earned run, uh, and then Diaz in the, in the, uh, ninth, I guess, gave up two earned runs, wasn't even able to finish the whole ninth. Uh, so, you know, made it a little more of a deficit for the Mets to come back from, wound up losing three to zero. But the biggest concern for the Mets right now is I don't think it's pitching or even relief. Maybe Diaz if we're talking relief. But I think it's uh, the offense, quite obvious, as I said, that they were 0 for 6 uh, two days ago. And then on Thursday night, they were also 0 for 6. They left, so that's combined 0 for 12. And they left to combine 15 runners on base between those two games against the Marlins. Um, I'm going to talk about this in a little about the Yankees. But I feel like uh, the Mets should, you know, just experiment and move around the lineup a little bit. Uh, they just got Lindor. I'm not going to, you know, get too crazy about it. He's only hitting 176 to start, but maybe it's because he doesn't like that spot in the lineup. Maybe it's because he has no protection behind him in Michael Conforto, who's hitting 143 right now and is terrible with the runners of scoring position. So even if Lindor does get on base, uh, Conforto probably isn't going to be able to, uh, you know, drive in those runs. Because uh, if you get Nimmo on base, he's hitting 412 to start the year, and you get Lindor on base, uh, then that's a runner scoring position. But right now, Conforto cannot be trusted to get a runner in. Uh, I think right now I would consider, uh, you know, maybe getting some help behind Lindor, getting someone that's actually scary behind Lindor. 
Uh, not too many guys on the Mets right now that are scary, considering Lindor's hitting 176, Conforto's hitting 143, Alonzo's hitting 211, McCann's hitting 176, McNeil is hitting 77, VR is hitting 214. Uh, yeah, the Mets are not playing well offensively to, to begin the year, uh, but I definitely think that the, there are a bunch of guys that they could put that are just better hitters than Conforto, straight-up hitters. Uh, when McNeil's on his game, he's a great hitter. Uh, obviously, Alonzo, but I would keep him at four. But right now, Nimmo's hitting 412. So maybe, uh, you know, you switch up Lindor and Nimmo. Maybe having Nimmo behind Lindor uh, gives uh, Lindor that protection uh, that'll help him get on base a little bit more, um, you know. Lindor leading off, Nimmo hitting 412 second, uh, and then maybe you know with those two, with that two combination, uh, it'll make Conforto start playing a little bit better, and, and Alonzo and the lineup will flow a little bit better. Uh, but don't you know? Don't get too worried about the Mets. Uh, you know, McNeil, great hitter. Uh, he's way down in that lineup. He hits like seventh in the lineup. That's a great seven hitter. Uh, McCann not playing well right now. He's a good quality catcher. Uh, and Dominic Smith, one of the only players playing well. Uh, I like that guy a lot. He's hitting 267 right now. So, you know, it's it's all about the Mets just uh, figuring out what works best for them. I don't think they know right now what really works best for them. Um, you know, it's so early. They just got one of the best players in the league in Lindor. Uh, he has to get comfortable in his spot in the lineup. But I, I don't understand why they would set it stone that this should be the lineup with Nimmo leading off, Lindor second, Conforto third. Uh, I'm going to get into that with the Yankees also uh, about how they keep on throwing out the same lineup pretty much every single day. Uh, and it's really, you know, not working. And, you know, change sometimes is for the best. Uh, so I'm not going to you – know, obviously no overreacting to, to the Yankees and the Mets right now just because it's so early on in the season. But, uh, you know, Mets offense needs to step up a little bit and, uh, you know, make up for their amazing pitching and uh, their pretty decent bullpen through this point of the season. So hopefully uh, the boys, Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, McCann, McNeil, VR, they all step up and start playing a little bit better, and then the Mets can really start to perform uh, up to their potential. Uh, so that's it for the Mets today. going to move on to talk about uh, the Yankees next. So similar to the Mets, uh, the Yankees also had a pretty unsuccessful weekend going down to Tampa Bay to play the Rays, Tropicana, uh, losing two out of three. Uh, but thankfully, we're able to end the weekend strong, winning the game on Sunday in extra innings. Uh, just to look back at the performances over the weekend, I'm not really going to blame the pitching too much, uh, especially the starting pitching. Uh, looking at Friday's game uh, in terms of Hitting, we went one for one with the runners scoring position, only left two on base. We scored five runs. So the offense really wasn't the issue in this game. I think that the issue in this game was decision-making on Aaron Boone's part. Uh, so Clory Kluber goes two and one-thirds, uh, allows three earned runs, only 62 pitches though. But guess what happens with the next guy that, that comes in the game? Nick Nelson allows four earned runs in an inning and two-thirds, only 38 pitches, gets his ERA up to nine. Uh, and then Lutke, who is pre in the past not pitched well, uh, allows one earned run in uh, in three innings. That's better, but his ERA is 7.2 right now. Uh, so I don't know if Boone was trying to throw away this game or not, but uh, to take your starting pitcher out with 62 pitches 
when he's not even pitching too poorly. I mean, plenty of guys have given up three runs in the first inning and gone on to, to pitch five, six innings. I don't know why you're jumping to conclusions in the in the third inning to take your starting pitcher out with only 62 pitches. He's through 39 strikes, uh, so he's you know pretty on point through 23 balls. Uh, you know, got his ERA up to 5.6. Uh, that's that's not my concern though. My concern is the issue of taking out the starter earlier on than you should, uh, time and time again, which is which is something that Boone has always done, regular season, postseason. I think that doing that in the regular season uh, definitely impacts the team in the postseason because the bullpen is wear worn out. I saw they had a nice graphic yesterday on Yes showing basically how much the bullpen has been used recently and it's overused only two weeks in. So how do you expect a if you're going to overuse your bullpen this early on, how do you expect them to be able to, you know, come out as flamethrowers, uh, being able to get guys out in big situations in the playoffs? You know, if you're going to wear them out right now, and then how do you expect your pitchers to be able to come back from, from, uh, you know, getting beaten down a little bit uh, and really perform and and have a gutsy performance in the playoffs? I mean, Corey Kluber, two and one third, 62 pitches, only three earned runs. I don't know why you take him out, especially when the next guy gives up four earned runs uh, in less than two innings uh, in replacement of Kluber. So it's confusing decision-making to me. Uh, I really didn't like it. I've never liked it whenever he takes out pitchers way too early. If you're if it's below 80 pitches and he hasn't given up like five runs, then I don't understand the point of taking him out. Boone's always jumping to conclusions. If you know, if he's given up three runs and he gets a runner on base in like the fourth inning, boom, he's out. He's out of the game. I just don't understand it. I don't like it. Uh, I hope that Boone could show a little more trust in his starting pitching, and maybe if he shows a little more trust in his starting pitching, then uh, it'll build confidence for the starters also, and they'll be uh, more confident to be able to get out of situations that they get themselves into. Uh, I don't know. I've never been a fan of it of Boone taking guys out early. Uh, maybe it'll wind up with his job one day, uh, you know, being being fired because of some bad decisions. Uh, but uh, I'll talk about more decisions that I don't like that Boone and I, I think that the management have made up to this point. Uh, so the following day, the Yankees lose 4-0. They get shut out 0-4 with runners in scoring position, leave six runners on base. Not like the Rays did any better. They went 1-7 for seven with runners in scoring position, left 11 runners on base. You know, Yankees pitching played well. Domingo Harmon, four four innings pitched on four with four earned runs. So he gave up all four runs in the four innings pitched. You know what that means. The bullpen played really well. Justin Wilson, an innings pit, inning pitched, two Ks, 24 pitches. Loisega, two innings pitched, uh, gave up two hits, three Ks on 39 pitches. That I really have been liking Loisega this season so far, uh, you know, Really strong performance out of the bullpen. Is a flamethrower. Has a change of pace with different types of pitches. Uh, really liking him right now. And he, he's really got that flamethrower arm. He could throw high 90s fastballs. So always enjoy watching that. And then Sessa was the final pitcher in the game. Winning his one inning pitch. Two Ks on 13 pitches only. So, uh, you know, pretty gutsy performance from the Yankees uh, bullpen, I'd say. Uh, not allowing one run after Herman gives up four and runs in four innings. Uh, you know, again, taking him out after four innings on only 79 pitches. I could, I'll complain less about this just because of how well the bullpen pitched. But don't forget about the overuse of the bullpen. This was Wilson's first time in, 
appearance with the Yankees, I believe, coming off the IL. But Loizaga and Sessa so far, I think, have been overused a little bit. They both are pitching phenomenally right now. I'll give them that. They both have zero ERAs up until this point of the season. So they're pitching phenomenally. But I need to see longer uh, you know, outings from the starting pitching. Uh, we're seeing basically four innings pitched a lot from the Yankees. We have a dominant bullpen, but we don't want to wear them out when the playoffs come around. So let's get these guys, these these talented pitchers, Herman, Tyon, uh, Kluber, even Garrett Cole. Uh, it didn't get an it didn't get a quality start for his first outing, only a second outing. Uh, so hopefully we can start, we can you know gain a little more confidence in these guys and uh, let them go a little bit longer. I'd like to see more quality starts coming from the Yankees starting pitching. Uh, I don't think that the Yankees have had a lot of quality starts over the past couple years. I don't think that they're tops in the league in that or anywhere near. Just because how often we take we take them out so early on in the game and uh, really doesn't uh, leave the bullpen, uh, you know, any with any stamina left when it comes down to it at the end of the season because they're so they're so overused in my opinion. But uh, Herman now falls to zero and two after that. Uh, again, didn't get any help from the offense, so that doesn't help. They got shut out. So this is a combo. I think the pitching was oh, was all right. You know, starting pitching worse than relief, obviously, but hitting absolutely no show uh, in this one. Uh, Chris Archer pitched for them. That was unfortunate to see. You know that they're able to trade a guy, get him back, and still he's able to perform. Didn't give up an earned run, but left the game early due to injury. Uh, and then their bullpen, you know, was amazing. Between Kitteridge, Springs, Thompson, Reed, and Mazza, they gave up no earned runs. Um, you know, didn't even I don't even believe that they pitched a hundred pitches. You know, through six and uh, six and two thirds. They didn't even pitch 100 pitches, so they were really just getting the Yankees out this day. Uh, Yankees couldn't even really get runners on base. You know, they usually have a worse runners in scoring position. Is in there like they'd be like 0 for 8, and they'd leave more runners on base. So the Yankees weren't even capable of doing what they they usually are, which is uh, leaving more runners on base and not r- driving in runners from uh, second and third. But uh, my biggest concern, honestly, for the offense is right now. Uh, that Hicks continuously is batting third, and we're not changing the lineup at all. Uh, maybe the bottom of the lineup changes a little bit. Uh, it's also curious as to why we went with Jay Bruce to start the year over Mike Ford, uh, a guy that's a lefty, has had clutch moments for the Yankees. Um, you know, it shows a lack of loyalty, in my opinion. I don't understand. Jay Bruce hasn't proven anything in the past couple of years, really hasn't been that good. While Mike Ford has had clutch hits, is a lefty. The thing that we're missing in this lineup uh, but and yet we're still playing Bruce over him. Um, as for the lack of lefty in the lineup, I'm going to get to Aaron Hicks and his struggles right now. Uh, he's hitting 148. He's a three hitter. I'm positive he only hits three because he's a lefty. You know, to switch it up a little bit between having Lemayhu righty, Judge righty, Stanton righty, Torres righty. You know, we have to have a lefty hitter in there. Uh, but what I say is. If you're not gonna, if you think that that's an actual problem, and you're not gonna address it in the off season by acquiring a, a solid lefty that you get for a good price, you know the Rays do that. The Rays have a small payroll. The Rays get solid lefties. They got Yoshi Tsugo last off season. The A's get good lefties out of nowhere. Matt Olson, look at that. I mean, teams are capable of, of finding lefties at good value, low price. You know, it seems like the Yankees. Had no interest in doing that. So I don't want to hear the argument that uh, we need Hicks as the number three hitter because he's a lefty just to switch it up from the righties. I don't think that's a valid argument. I think that if that if you wanted to make that argument, I would say 
we should have gotten a, a cheap guy lefty in the offseason. So I think that Hicks would be better suited uh, as a leadoff hitter, honestly. Uh, he's not hitting the ball well right now. He's hitting 148. He's the best uh, at getting walks on the team. Um, and honestly, when he's at his best, he might have a better on-base percentage than DJ LeMahieu. But the three-hitter is not supposed to walk. That's something that the one-hitter does. The one-hitter is just supposed to get on base. So imagine uh, instead of LeMahieu and Judge getting on, that Hicks uh, at best walking pretty much at this point uh, or hitting a home run, which is rare right now for him. And really, most of the time, it's rare because he's not that great, not deserving of, of the seven-year deal that he got. But that's besides the point. If Hicks, uh, who's great at walking, his best aspect of, of his offensive game is walking. If he hits first, then LeMay, who's good at getting base hits. Uh, let's say Hicks is able to steal second, being the fastest guy on the team. Or he stays at first. Either LeMay, who's driving in a run on a base hit as the be being the best hitter on the team. Um, driving in Hicks from second if he steals, or Hicks will advance to third on a base hit from LeMayu. Then we got Judge coming up. Instead of that, we got LeMayu getting on base right now, then Judge coming up, uh, driving LeMayu to third at best, uh, unless he's hitting a home run. And then Hicks, not capable of doing anything offensively other than really getting a walk. So I think it would be beneficial to, to be able to get LeMayu up with a runner on base to start up the game, and Judge with potentially two runners up to start the game. Uh, additionally, I don't think Judge, although he's playing great right now, he's in 346, uh, actually maybe lower uh, after last game. Yeah, now he's hitting 310 uh, after last game. But uh, I don't think that Judge is getting much protection with Hicks sitting behind, batting behind him. Uh, you know, it's a huge thing, as I stated earlier, with Conforto behind Lindor. That's, I don't, that's not much protection right now. Hicks is never much protection. Hicks, at best, is a 240 hitter. That's not a three hitter. That's not good protection for your two hitter. Um, I think that he would just benefit greatly from being the leadoff guy. Uh, you know, you see his average, at best, usually 240, but somehow his on base percentage is like above 350. So he gets a ton of walks. Uh, doesn't really hit the ball so well for average. So moving him up to the leadoff spot, hopefully hopefully he'll be able to draw a lot of walks, maybe get some leadoff home runs, gain some confidence. And then LeMayu and Judge hopefully will be able to drive him in with getting with him getting on base due to him walking, be able to work that count just to start the game. He's a guy that's always looking at pitches really close. Uh, so I really think that that would benefit the Yankees greatly. Uh, there's not much changes I think need to be made, but that having a 148 hitter continuously hit three without making any single change is definitely an issue in my book. Uh, I think it's affecting Judge. I think it's affecting Stanton, and I think it might even be affecting Torres. I think that if you move Hicks to the leadoff guy, LeMahieu and Judge down one each, yes, that would make it uh, four righties in a row. Not a, not a concern for me. Um, you know, I would start maybe even considering Odor. Uh, you know, obviously, I think that's that's what they're going to do after well, yesterday's game. Uh, Odor started at second with LeMahieu at first. Jay Bruce sat his ass on the bench. Um, I, I like that a lot. Odor had the big hit of the game, uh, giving the Yankees uh, a lead, getting a, a base hit. You know, just the simple base hit that, that we needed. He's additionally a lefty, so he creates a little more, uh, you know, change in the lineup going from righty to left. Um, you know, I don't mind having Hicks as the lefty first, then going to LeMahieu, Judge, Stanton, and Torres, all righties, and then Odor is a lefty there, and splitting him between, uh, you know, those guys before him, and then Sanchez, Urshela, and uh, Gardner, or Frazier. 
Um, you know, that's that would make it three lefties in the lineup if we're playing Gardner, only two if we're playing Frazier. Again, I don't think it's that big of an issue if we weren't if we didn't address it in the offseason. So uh I definitely think that Hicks as the leadoff guy would be beneficial for the team. After last night's game, actually, he's now hitting 129. Uh, you know, the Yankees overall are struggling. Stan hitting 188. Torres hitting 222. Um, you know, a couple guys. We have guys playing well. It's really at the top and the bottom of the lineup. Nothing in nothing in the middle, though. LeMayu hitting 297. Judge hitting 310. And then the bottom of the lineup is Sanchez hitting 296. Urshela hitting 323. And Gardner hitting 353. So it's really the middle of the lineup and Stan hitting 188. Torres hitting 222 and Odor hitting 200. That's really uh, hurting the whole entire team right now. But as for yesterday's game, Odor got that big hit. Uh, we needed that win last night. Uh, only got it in extra innings. Um, you know, needed the win against the Rays, division rival. Lost them in the playoffs last year. Could not afford a sweep, especially after seeing how well the Red Sox have been playing. Uh, I think they're now six and three at this point. So we're now sitting at four and five. We got a series against the Blue Jays. Um, you know, I'm not really so concerned about the pitching. Yesterday, Montgomery five innings pitched, four earned runs, 82 pitches, um, and then the bullpen completely shuts them out through the next four innings between Green, O'Day, Chapman, and then Abreu in the ninth. Abreu looked like he had some. He, he had some heat on his on what he was throwing. So I uh, definitely really like the Bray. He was able to go that one inning on 18 pitches, only 10 strikes. So that means he threw eight balls, and he was still able to, to get out of it uh, unscathed, which is nice. And he had two strikeouts. So clearly was fooling guys at the plate. Uh, as for runs in scoring position, the Yankees were a little they were better yesterday, which is why uh, they came out with the victory. They went four for 15. With runners in scoring position, they left eight runners on base. Still a lot of runners left on base, so there's still more work to do with this team. Uh, definitely need to allow less runners uh, left on base. But, um, you know, better with runners in scoring position last night. Uh, certain guys stepped up. Uh, I saw uh, Torres got that big base hit. Uh, it was very nice to see a guy struggling get a get a nice solid base hit to, to get an RBI. Uh, Sanchez also got an RBI in extras. Obviously, Odor had that big RBI. Uh, Urshela had a game yesterday, went four for five. Uh, also had an RBI. Also went one for two with runners in scoring position. Um, so it definitely was was a good offensive uh, game, although the starting pitching didn't show up as we would liked with uh, Montgomery. Uh, the bullpen definitely stepped up for us. Um don't even think they pitched, uh, didn't pitch 100 pitches in the four innings they pitched, which is nice, you know, for each guy. No no guy, the highest pitcher uh, for in terms of pitch count yesterday for the relief uh, was Chad Green with 31 pitches out of the bullpen. O'Day only had seven, Chapman at 13, and Abreu at 18. So uh, it was a good offensive performance, good performance by the bullpen. Again, it's maybe a little bit concerning that we can't get the offense and the starting pitching and the bullpen to all play well at the same time. But then again, I don't even think that uh, the offense played so well yesterday, given the fact that they scored the four runs to take the lead were scored in the 10th inning. Uh, so, you know, the offense was was iffy the whole game. We scored three in the third and then one in the eighth, uh, you know, pretty much blanked us the whole game. And then we, we go off for four runs in the 10th. Uh, so... I think it's a little bit concerning the way the offense is playing. I think it's also concerning the consistency of the team overall, just in 
all facets of the team being able to play well at the same time. You don't usually see that for the Yankees during the regular season or the postseason. So that's something that I'm going to be uh, looking uh, looking at throughout the season if we're able to get the offense, the pitching, and the relief pitching uh, on at the same time. Uh, but, you know, good win yesterday. We're on to the Blue Jays now. They're playing in Florida, so not a long trip for the Yanks. Uh, hoping for the best. And uh, going to move this uh, rant on to the Knicks and their performance over the weekend against both the Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. Going to start by discussing this game about the Grizzlies. But before I get to that, just wanted to remind everyone that you can catch my podcast on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, this is the rant presented by Strive Sports. Uh, you could access uh, the links to Apple Podcasts and Spotify on the link tree uh, located in the bio in the Strive Sports Instagram page. All right, let's get back to it. Uh, talking Grizzlies Knicks to start. It was the first game of the weekend, Friday night. Um, Knicks pull out this one. Uh, Tough battle, 133-129 in overtime. A uh, lot to get to in this one. Uh, just going to start off by uh, talking R.J. Barrett and his rise to what he's where he's at right now in his NBA career, uh, just the confidence that he's gained. Um, I really believe that he might be the most... Uh, the most consistent player on the team right now, not for the season overall. Right now, uh, you know, this game against the Grizzlies, he went seven of thirteen from the field, two of four from three, twenty points, uh, five boards, two assists. Um, he had he had some big plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, he hit a huge three in overtime to take a to take a three point lead when the game was tied. Um, he additionally uh, had the layup. Uh, at the end of the fourth quarter to tie the game on John Morant. Uh, you know, it was a fast break. Uh, it was a time where I'm sure many, you know, people were uh, worrying about what move RJ would make in the moment. You know, it goes slow-mo in, it, to us, but it's moving fast-paced, obviously, in in real life. But uh, that, that's a moment where you would think that RJ is going to start moving too quick and make a bad decision. But... Clearly, the game overall is moving a lot slower for him. He's really able to read what the defenses are doing, and he was able to, to notice that if he slowed if he slowed his movements down a little bit and, and used Morant's body to like move himself back while Morant went flying uh, forward near the basket, then uh, it would be an easy lefty opportunity for RJ using his strong hand on the left side. Uh, so, you know, that was a great play to be able to see RJ come up in the clutch, final moments of the game, literally under five seconds left, uh, score a left, a tie and force OT. Uh, we outscored them by nine points in the second half, which was nice. We were down 15 points uh, overall at points in the game. So, so it was really, you know, just a great, gritty performance. Uh, as Thibodeau said earlier on the season in an interview, uh, you know, if you want to beat us, we're going to rip your kneecaps out. Uh, that's exactly what happened uh, on Friday night against the Grizzlies. Uh, Grizzlies up 15. Uh, the whole team seems to be enjoying themselves. You know, they're celebrating, smiling, laughing, having a good time. Uh, next thing you know, Knicks do their thing and start ripping your kneecaps out and really clawing their way back into the game. And uh, yes, it was a defensive effort, uh, but we did give up 129 points, 50% shooting, 47% from three. Uh, so, you know, it can't give too much credit for the defense on this one, but still needed to grind to be able to get us back in. But most of the credit should go to our offense for this one. I mean, uh, 
the guys that really got us to this win, Julius Randle with the triple-double, uh, you know, up there for all-time Knicks leaders in single-season triple-doubles. Uh, so amazing for Julius Randle, 15 points, 11 assists, 10 boards. R.J. Barrett, I told you what he did. Uh, Alfred Payton, 5-9, 12 points. Uh, Bullock, 3-5. Noel, 2-4. Toppin, 3-5. Uh, you know, quickly, 7-12, of 4-6 from 3. Uh, Burks, 5-15, of 3-8 of from, from 3, but had 19 points, plus 16. Quickly was a plus 19 also. Um, now, now, just to get back to saying that I believe that RJ is the most consistent player right now, uh, that's not to take anything away from Randall. Randall is still the the most talented player on the team. It's not even close. Uh, you know, he wound up with a plus zero, but imagine what he would have wound up with if he didn't get the, all those eleven assists uh, to get that triple double. Uh, he would have a minus. The Knicks probably wouldn't have won the game. Uh, Looking back to the game last night uh, against the Raptors, he had a huge assist to RJ in the corner to you know solidify that lead that the Knicks uh, had in, in that comeback. Uh, so nothing to take away from Randall. He's just struggling at the end of games now. Uh, you know, like last night he had 18 points in the first half and then didn't score uh, until like the fourth quarter or something like that. Um, you know, he's struggling in the second half of games. He's giving it his all. There's no doubt about that. On the defensive end, he gives it his all. And then, uh, you know, he's giving it his all on the offensive end. But he just doesn't have uh, much left in the tank when it gets to the second half. And uh, especially when it gets down to it in the fourth quarter. I mean, the guy's averaging some of the most points per, played uh, per game in, in the league this season. Uh, he had 38 against the, the Grizzlies on Friday night. Uh, and then he had another 38 minutes against the Raptors last night, so it's totally understandable why he's uh, you know getting a little winded when it gets down to it. But uh, I would just hope that he, his decision making would get a little bit better. Uh, you know, he uh, seems to be forcing himself some, into some shots later on in games, trying to maybe prove to the fans that he is clutch. Maybe he's hear, hearing murmurs out there that uh, you know he's not getting the job done in the, in the final minutes of games. Uh, didn't do that against the Nets and the Celtics and the Sixers and the Timberwolves. So uh, he has had his, his issues, you know, closing out games. But overall, you know, he's still the best player. We still need him in order to win. He's dishing out. He has the, you know, the ability to dish out 11 assists like he did on Friday night against the Grizzlies. So, uh, you know, can't say enough about Julius Randle, obviously. He's just, uh, you know, forcing it a little bit at the end of the games from what I'm seeing. Uh, he did have that great pass last night, you know, to RJ in the corner to hit that three. Um, I believe it was him or Burks that had the, the big assist to RJ in the game Friday night against the Grizzlies, uh, to get, a, to take a three point lead. But, uh, you know, in terms of who's the most clutch player on this team, I truly believe that it's Alec Burks. Uh, you know, he didn't even have that great of a shooting night. The other night against the Grizzlies, 5 of 15, 3 of 8 from 3. 3 of 8 from 3 is all right. Uh, maybe take some less attempts. But, uh, you know, he's he. I think he's the guy that we need to put the ball in his hands at the end of games. He needs to be that point guard who's going to either facilitate or he's going to find the shot for himself. And he's been able to do that the past two games in the two-game winning streak to get the Knicks back to 500. Um, he's either gotten, uh, you know, facilitated to find an open guy. Uh, you know, he had a very nice pass in the fourth quarter yesterday to Randall, who was cutting baseline. You know, he gets to the middle of the zone the Raptors were playing, and then he, he sees Randall cutting baseline, which rarity that you see someone on the Knicks cutting baseline like that. Uh, you know, they, they're usually just watching and, uh, 
not really moving around so much. I'd like to see more movement like that. You know, I'm just why I see a lot of the times Obi Toppin and uh, Julius Randle just standing around at the three point line area when they could uh, probably go in back door on their guys who are, you know, trying to do a little bit of help defense. Uh, I'd like to see more back doors coming from the Knicks. That's besides the point, though. Uh, Alec Burks, clutch guy. He's facilitating for other players. He's getting the buckets himself. He, you know, he's hit tons of clutch, whether it be a clutch three or he drives to the back bucket, gets a clutch uh, layup or floater. Uh, you know, he did that. He had the he had a three against the Grizzlies in overtime. I think he also might have even had a he had a, definitely had a layup to really solidify the the lead for us uh, against the Grizzlies. So. If there's one guy who I want the ball in his hands at the end of the game for the Knicks, it's Alec Burks. That doesn't mean that I want him to shoot it every time, but he is the guy that's making the smartest decision, whether it be uh, creating a shot for himself or uh, creating a shot for others. Um, you know, as long as I, at the end of games I'm seeing Randall, Barrett, and, and Burks on the court, I'm happy. Uh, you know, obviously it's got to, for the remainder of the lineup, it has to be between Gibson and Noel. And then um, I'll throw it up in the air between Peyton, Rose, and Quickly. But, uh, you know, Randall, Barrett, and Burks, three guys that absolutely must be on the court to, to finish off a game. Uh, those are, you know, Randall's the best player, Burks is the most clutch, and Barrett's the most consistent. So I have my categories for each of those three. Um, you know, they're not set in stone. That's just for how they're playing right now in the past couple games. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, things continue to go in the right direction tonight against the uh, against the Lakers. Um you know, if any, if last night showed you anything, it shows that the Knicks, no matter what, will, we're never going to give up. I mean, last night against the Raptors, we're, we're up the whole game. Uh, we outscore them by like 14 in the first half. Uh, and then, you know, going to the second half, they outscore us by 12 in the third quarter. Classic third quarter woes for the Knicks. Um, you know, so... They wound up taking a lead in the fourth quarter at a point. Uh, they had the seven-point lead, but then it got moved back down to a four. I'll just go on a, on a little side note here, talking about the Malachi Flynn out-of-bounds play, the three-pointer. So the Raptors were up seven Then uh, the during a timeout. The refs go to review a three-pointer made by Malachi Flynn in the corner. Apparently his foot stepped out-of-bounds. So they took away those three points and made it a four-point game in favor of the Raptors. Um I just thought it was interesting because I didn't even know that that was allowed to go back a few plays and, you know, check if a guy was stepped out of bounds. I thought you could check if he was on the line or not to take away a three-pointer, you know, make it a two. I didn't know that you could take away a full possession, especially when it was a couple possessions uh, beforehand, just because a guy stepped out of bounds. I did not know that was a rule. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. I'm curious to see if that will continue happening throughout the, the remainder of the season. But, uh, you know, it was definitely a... You know, I'm not going to say that it saved the Knicks, but it definitely made the comeback more reasonable, uh, you know, since it was in late, the later portion of the fourth quarter. So uh, the Knicks down four four points coming out of a timeout. Uh, Raptors have the ball, uh, and we still were able to, to grind it out. You know, we the Raptors were the one that, ones that really ripped our kneecaps out at first, uh, and then we, we got back up, recovered real quick, and ripped their kneecaps out again. Uh, so, you know, this team is never quitting. Uh, I'm sure that most Knicks fans were, were giving up at that point when we were down four or seven or whatever it was, however what you want to consider it. You know, I, I know that I was not feeling good about the game at that point, but 
you know, that that's what this Knicks team is. As Nerlens Noel said last night, one through 15, we're all going to dog it out through for 48 minutes. And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not, this is New York. You, you got to fight. It's New York. That's what the people want. And, uh, the people and the fans got what they wanted last night in, in that, you know, grind it out, grit and grind it out battle against the Raptors last night. Um, you know, the Knicks only shot 40% from the field, 25.7% from three. Uh, so really not a good offensive performance last night. But to be able to still grind out a win against a team that's struggling, uh, once again goes to show that the Knicks are, are a tier above the teams that, that are considered to be bad teams in this league. Uh, the Knicks are an average team. They are now at the definition of average, sitting at 27 and 27. Uh, just as many wins as losses. So... The Knicks are an average team. Uh, they're capable of beating a lot of teams on any given night, in my opinion, especially due to the way they play defense. Uh, I think teams aren't uh, excited to be playing the Knicks in the playoffs if they make it, uh, just because of their defense. You know, if they're even if the top talent of the Knicks uh, doesn't equal some other teams, uh, they make up for it with their defensive effort and their their effort on offense. Honestly, uh, the Knicks also are pretty deep. If the even if you know the best players on the Knicks aren't as good as the best players on the Bucks or the Sixers, uh, the Knicks are pretty deep to be able to have guys like uh, Rose Burks and, and even quickly come off the bench. Soon to be Noel also whenever Mitchell Robinson returns. Uh, you know I think that's huge for the Knicks. I think that teams definitely don't want to face the Knicks in the first round. They know that the Knicks are are, are a great defensive unit and. Uh, Definitely never want to mess around with that. Uh, just also wanted to point out that the Knicks uh, are, uh, before last night's game, before they went shot terribly from three, they were actually like sixth in the league in three-point percentage. That's very impressive. Yes, they don't hit that many threes. They're like low 20s or, high, or whatever it is. They're in the 20s in terms of made, total made threes. Uh, it goes to show that the Knicks are a smart team. They play smart offense. They take smart shots. Uh, you know, they're, it, you would usually expect if they're low in total shots, total threes made, then they probably are not as not very high in percentage made. But the point is that the Knicks take smart shots. Uh, you know, they're not taking dumb threes. That's why they're able to be, you know, top 10 in terms of three-point percentage with such few three-pointers made. Uh, you know, other teams like the Blazers take way more threes, uh, which makes their three-point percentage lower. Uh, overall, you know, so it's it's just that the Knicks are capitalizing on the opportunities that are given to them, they, you know, and they have some good three-point shooters here. They got Bullock, they got Burks, they got Quickly, and, uh, you know, Randall, I'm not sure exactly what he's shooting from three at this point of the season, but he was previously shooting at 40%, and now Barrett making his way slowly but surely up to 40%, having shot uh, 50% in each of the last two games, both wins, so... Love the way the Knicks have been playing, coming off uh, you know a little bit of a losing streak. Uh, we got the Lakers tonight. Uh, obviously, no AD or LeBron playing. Uh, unsure about Kuzma, who didn't play against the the Nets over the weekend in, in the Lakers win. Uh, Going to be talking about that in a moment and maybe uh, connecting it uh, to the Knicks, but uh, I'll, I'll connect it right now. I'm just going to st- go out there and say it. If the uh, if the Lakers play without Kuzma in addition to LeBron and AD. I think that the Knicks should win this game. Uh, you know, the best player on the court should be Julius Randle in that case. Uh, 
uh, even with Kuzma on the court, it probably should be Julius Randle. Again, he has been kind of iffy recently. He was great in the first half yesterday, had 18 points in the first half, and then struggled in the second half. Uh, seems like he's a little winded. I'm not going to go straight to injury concerns, but you know the minutes are really racking up for him. Uh, so hopefully he'll be able to you know just get a big lead and and push the Lakers out early on. Uh, but Kuzma's probably going to play tonight. Uh, you know you can never count out the Lakers. They still have a good squad, even without LeBron and AD. Not championship caliber, but but still quality squad. So, uh, very excited for that game tonight. I uh, can't remember the last time the Knicks beat the Lakers, even though, you know, the Lakers weren't even so good for a good portion of the 2010s. But, uh, very excited for that game tonight. Uh, I guess the last time maybe the Knicks beat the Lakers was uh, Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity at the Garden. I, I definitely recall that, that. Those were great times. Um, but, Great weekend to be a Knicks fan. Great weekend to be a Nick. Uh, great weekend to be at the Garden as well. Both games being won at the Garden. Again, this is a game at the Garden tonight against the Lakers. Um, I'm going to continue uh, to talk about the Nets now and their loss against the Lakers. Uh, this is just going to be kind of short and to the point. Um, you know, the, the Nets had Kyrie and KD play. KD with his first game back, only played 24 minutes. Uh, obviously, Kyrie got thrown out along with Dennis Schroeder in, early on in the third quarter. Uh, but the Nets wound up losing by 25 uh, with KD on his, his minutes restriction. Uh, I definitely would be a bit concerned with this if uh, if I was a Nets fan. Just because, in, in my opinion, this is the way I think of it, uh, I think all the superstars in this series, they meet in the, in the finals, will all cancel out. LeBron and AD will cancel out uh, Harden, Kyrie, and KD. Even though it's three against two, cancel it out. So now you got to bring in the other guys. Uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily say that the names of the guys in the Lakers are better than the names of the guys on the Nets. But when it came down to them playing against each other the other day in Brooklyn, the Lakers took a took it away by 25 points. Didn't even have Kuzma, who's probably their best role player. Uh, Drummond, 20 points, 11 boards. I'm not sure how the Nets are going to be able to stop that when it gets to playoff time. Uh, I mean, I, I I always say how much I like Claxton, but Claxton might be uh, you know no match for a guy like Andre Drummond. And I'll tell you this, Lamarcus Aldridge definitely no match for Andre Drummond on the boards. Uh, <laughs> Lamarcus Aldridge only grabbed three rebounds. I mean, the guy is six ten, six eleven. He's got to be doing more than that. I definitely would be. I mean, concerned about the Nets rebounding against the Lakers overall. They they got out rebounded uh, by the Lakers by by only five. Uh, again, I don't believe that there was any Marcus Gasol out there the other night, um, which is definitely uh, another concern for the Nets. You know, another big uh, the Lakers having another quality big man, especially with that guy coming off the bench and playing with with, uh, with a Harrell with a Caruso. Uh, so you know, the Lakers they they have plenty of good high quality role players: Caldwell Pope, Horton Tucker, Morris. Uh, you know, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't necessarily call Schroeder a role player, but he's great. So I would be concerned with this loss if I were the Nets fans. You know, you could say, "Oh, it's one game," or you could say, "This was a this was a game that uh, Kyrie got thrown out of, uh, probably because of his ego, uh, and also concerning that he's now not playing over the weekend. I mean, uh, he's not playing now this week. Uh, for we're not sure how long, but he's definitely not playing tonight due to uh, personal reasons, I believe, against the Timberwolves. So uh, they better wind up winning that game against the Timberwolves because that's a bad loss if they wound up losing uh, without uh, Kyrie. 
So I'm not sure why he's sitting, but I don't really give him, uh, you know, the excuse. At least don't say personal reasons. Just say, like, rest or something if you're going to do that. Come on now. Enough with this garbage. But uh, I would, I personally would be concerned, um, you know, uh, be getting beat down by the Lakers by 25 without LeBron, AD, and Kuzma. I mean, uh, if that's not cause for concern, I don't know what is. Uh, I see foreshadowing into the future right here. Um, I see also with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, Harden, a guy that, you know, has been playing, has been the key for the Nets this season and getting them to where they are, uh, you know. And not, I'm not even concerned about his injury right now. I'm concerned about how he's played in the playoffs in the past and how he hasn't come up in, in clutch, in the clutchest moments. Uh, you know, he, he comes up clutch most of the time, but when it gets to the, the biggest moments, elimination games, trying to eliminate another team or your team's on the verge of elimination, uh, you know, he he doesn't play up to his potential and and it's it's been the story of his career kind of up to this point. So for for a lot of reasons, I'm definitely worried about the Nets uh, if they make the finals. Um, I'm definitely not, you know, all 100% bought in on them even uh, making the finals, uh, winning the East, but you know, still an amazingly fun season. I'm sure every Nets fan will be able to appreciate uh, what happened this season. Uh, truly unbelievable. Also unfortunate that Barclays Center isn't able to be filled out uh, to experience this. But, you know, hopefully we'll get more time to be able to, to really experience this Nets team, this Nets trio uh, grow. And uh, even if it's not this year for the Nets, you know, I, I still am liking the Lakers over them if, if that's what it comes down to. Uh, I also kind of like the Nuggets over them, honestly, a little bit. Uh, the Nuggets are very stacked. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to make the moves in the future that'll, that'll get them the championship. I mean, when you talk about this starting lineup, it's pretty unreal. Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, Marcus Aldridge, Kyrie Irving, and then put Harden in there instead of Jeff Green. Uh, and then you got Green, uh, Blake Griffin, Claxton, Brown, uh, Lualu Cabarro, Shamit, all kind of, along with Jeff Green coming off the bench, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, the, the Nets are stacked, but that's just a concerning uh, loss for me. Uh, the Lakers missing all their, their guys. Brooklyn has their guys. Uh, I'm just not sure uh, really what to make of that, uh, which is why I'm a little concerned for the Nets. Uh, just a last thing I wanted to bring up was is the uh, Kyrie Irving getting ejected from the game along with Dennis Schroeder. Uh, they had a little bit of chitter chatter, you know, and and then the rest wound up tossing them early in the third quarter. I completely disagree with that. I hate that. Uh, I think that refs need to let them play. They probably didn't even say anything that bad to each other. If you're going to talk that talk, let them try and walk the walk. And if it gets over the top later on, then you throw them out. I mean, I'm not 100% sure if things, maybe things were getting over the top beforehand and, uh, you know, they were just trying to control uh, the vibe of the game. But it's just disappointing to see two great players, uh, you know, kicked out of the game, not be able to, you know, have their final say on the game. Uh, it's one thing that many people have been annoyed with in the NBA this year. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to figure this out. Uh, I definitely don't want to see anything like that happening during the playoffs. That would be like the most unfortunate thing ever. Don't want to see a playoff game, uh, you know, the outcome impacted by a decision like that made by the ref, you know, in, in the moment. So it was unfortunate. I hope that the NBA can really figure this out, especially when it gets to playoff time, but 
a real shame that Kyrie and Schroeder weren't able to really finish their battle on the court, finish right there with that, uh, with that argument they had. Uh, that's it for the rant today. Just wanted to repeat that you can catch uh, my rants on podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, you can access those via the link tree in the at in the at tribe at these drive sports Instagram page. Uh, that's it for today. Ranting everything that happened in New York sports over the weekend. Enjoyed doing that with you guys and can't wait to be talking Nets, Knicks, Yankees, Mets all tomorrow. Peace out and uh, love you all.